A recent story in November in the news caused a flurry of interest among creationists. It was based on an article in the German journal Natural Sciences about a marsupial able to hibernate for more than a year. Several people wrote in alerting us of the report. They were presumably keen for us to use it as evidence that animals could have hibernated during the year of the flood. It's worth exploring just how this does or does not add to the apologetic argument about the feasibility of the flood account. First, some more detail on the report. The animal concerned was the pygmy possum, Circartetus nanus, a marsupial. This is an opportunistic, non-seasonal hibernator. In the right circumstances, it is able to put on substantial fat reserves which enable it to go into prolonged turpor. The research in this instance was directed to seeing whether the pygmy possum, given the right circumstances, would be able to prolong its hibernation, existing only on its own body fat, well beyond winter. The outcome was impressive. The prolonged hibernation lasted 310 days on average in various of the creatures, with one reaching 367 days. Hibernation, Migration, and the Ark by Carl Wieland Originally published December 2007 On the surface, it seems somewhat obvious. Faced with the problem of caring for thousands of animals for a year, it would make things far simpler if the animals went into some sort of prolonged shutdown for most of the journey. For one thing, it would dramatically reduce the amount of food and water required. For example, in the case of the pygmy possum mentioned above, the average energy expenditure during hibernation was reduced to about 2.5% of normal. This in turn drives the waste load way down too. And for another, one can imagine the fear and restlessness among all those animals, confined in dark quarters for months while the ship was subject to all manner of boat-rocking external forces, despite the demonstrated high stability of its proportions. Not to mention the sound of driving rain for days on end, and presumably wind, waves, and thunder too. It's not surprising, then, that as far back as the classic, the Genesis Flood, Creationist authors have been suggesting that the animals may have entered a state of prolonged hibernation. This suggestion is perfectly reasonable, and the possibility is not being questioned here. But to point to some present-day hibernation feat as evidence supporting the flood account is not as simple and straightforward as a quick glance might suggest. Note that even without hibernation of any sort, the Ark journey still works, despite being a lot more problematic for its inhabitants. This is reinforced by the detailed figures and rigorous arguments in Woodmorup's classic work, Noah's Ark, a feasibility study. In short, raising the issue of hibernation for apologetic purposes is not so much a crucial necessity as it is a helpful nicety. In pointing to such things as present-day hibernation, in fact in all such Ark feasibility studies, one is really trying to minimize the need for supernaturalism to try to explain it naturally without the need for a miracle. This is an understandable goal, 
to want to avoid multiplying the number of miracles required in some arbitrary fashion. That is not to be confused with bowing to naturalism and liberal theology in denying the miraculous in Scripture. The description of the flood and ark in Genesis reinforces what Henry Morris has called the economy of miracle seen in the Bible in general. God could, for instance, easily have suspended all of the animals in Noah's family above the clouds during the year of the flood. But he chose to use natural laws, such as the principles of buoyancy involved in a floating ship. Even then, he could have materialized a ready-made ark of safety, but instead chose to give detailed instructions for its presumably long and laborious construction. The absence of a flurry of capricious, abracadabra-style miracles in the Bible is actually one hallmark of its authenticity. Apocryphal Gospels have an abundance of these. It makes the rare, special-purpose miracle, like raising Lazarus from the dead or feeding the 5,000, stand out all the more. This is in part why we feel more comfortable when we have a naturalistic explanation for an arc feasibility problem, as per Woodmorep's book. Having to postulate miracle after miracle, especially ones the Bible does not mention, would seem awkward and would in practice make the Bible account less believable to skeptics. Clearly, having the animals go to sleep makes the journey far less problematic. What is being discussed here is the appeal to existing natural instincts as part of this drive to minimize the supernatural. Creation apologists, dealing with this issue of the animals traveling to the ark, have similarly sought naturalistic explanations where possible. They often point to the migration instincts in various animals, and or their instinct to travel to safety if there is impending danger. But both here and in the case of hibernation, the appeal to existing instincts is problematic. As we will see, it cannot avoid the need for the miraculous, pure and simple, and in substantial doses, in fact. First, present-day migration instincts are nowhere near universal among animals. So even if God may have used the existing instincts somehow in some species, that still leaves the overwhelming majority of those that needed to be on board which show little trace of a migration instinct. So, if supernatural action is needed for that majority, why not the whole lot? So, how much then has the instinct argument really helped the explanation? Second, existing instincts do not direct animals towards a man-made boat. Third, even if all animals had a migratory instinct, and even if all were programmed to migrate towards large man-made vessels, why did only those particular ones from each type make the journey? Clearly, a mighty miracle was involved. We correctly talked about Noah taking the various creatures on board, but it should not be overlooked that these were ones which God sent. Genesis 6.20 Noah did not have to roam the world with lassos and animal traps. In fact, the sight of the pairs of animals migrating to the ark would likely have been an awesome testimony to onlookers that the hand of the miracle-working Creator God was here to be seen, notwithstanding the fact that hearts remained hard. Often the argument is worded such that God could have modified existing migratory instincts in certain creatures. Okay, he could have done that, and we're not told either way, but it's clear from the earlier discussion that in any case, Many animals would have needed to have such instincts specially created at the time. 
Those that already had them needed them extensively reprogrammed, and then only in those chosen for this journey. The degree of supernatural specificity is so extensive that bringing up the argument in this way seems, on analysis, to be of little help. Why not accept that God directly and supernaturally commanded the animals he wanted to travel to and board the ark to do so? In short, pointing to some migratory instincts to attempt to make the account more feasible is not exactly an apologetic coup. It does not avoid or in any tangible way mitigate the need for supernaturalism, despite perhaps giving such an impression. We similarly see creationists claim that God could have used or modified existing hibernation instincts. But here too, we cannot escape from the raw fact that to put all of those animals to sleep for the year of the flood would have involved a substantial dose of supernaturalism. Many mammals do hibernate each year, often for about six months at a time. Even hibernating for half the journey would help, of course. But many mammals do not hibernate at all. So why should those on the ark hibernate? And why at that particular time? Here too, it is almost redundant to talk about modifying existing instincts, since it might have been just as much trouble for God to put the animals directly into a torpid state. Then of course there is the issue of whether, even when put to sleep by God, most of the animals could have had sufficient fat reserves to help them for a year without further supernatural help. This is possibly why the observation concerning the pygmy possum stirred some interest. If some animals can be induced to hibernate for up to a year or more without running out of body fuel, then maybe this could be true for all. But the pygmy possum is already programmed to hibernate, and more importantly in this context, is designed with the capacity to fatten up, adequately in anticipation of extended periods without food or drink. Presumably, all those creatures which do not hibernate would require special intervention to fatten up to the extent needed in anticipation of a year-long journey. So here again, one might ask, why not just go straight to the obvious? God did it supernaturally. We're not talking about just any old God here, but about the God of Genesis, who created a complex universe, including all of its contained migration and hibernation instincts in six Earth rotation days in the first place. Though his normal operation in the world today is via what modern science describes as the physical laws, he is certainly not constrained by them. Or perhaps better, added to them, for special purposes at special times in history. And the Flood certainly was an incredibly special time. The Flood, almost by definition, would have required a mixture of natural and supernatural activity both for its causes and particularly for the survival of the Ark and its crew. In the understandable tendency to seek natural explanations wherever possible, one can easily overlook the fact that most animals would not normally and naturally either head off to and then board the Ark or go to sleep once there, let alone have already stored up enough fat for all or most of the journey. To talk about God modifying certain instincts, whether migration or hibernation, overlooks and sidesteps the fact that not all the animals have those instincts. And for those which do, the degree of specificity and complexity involved in the necessary reprogramming would seem to make the existence of any previous instincts almost superfluous. The appeal of existing instincts therefore falls somewhat short of a robust explanation. 
If one makes that appeal in a way that gives the impression that these mechanisms can be conveniently conscripted in a naturalistic fashion, one risks using it largely as rhetorical window dressing. One needs to remember that the instincts in today's creatures are in any case there as a result of supernatural programming during creation week. So notwithstanding all the caveats in this article, it would still seem reasonable to point at these present-day instincts in a discussion on flood issues. Provided, that is, that one does so as mere analogy to what was required during the flood, rather than giving the impression that the naturalistic blanket solution has been provided. If you enjoyed this discussion about the Flood and Noah's Ark and the animals on board, then you'll want to get a copy of How Noah's Flood Shaped Our Earth at creation.com. It will give you a new appreciation for the power and impact of Noah's Flood, a pivotal event in the history of our planet. It was the biblical flood, not millions of years, that deposited thousands of meters of folded, bent, and twisted rock strata all over the Earth, and the billions of fossils contained therein. Researchers Ord and Reed have done a marvelous job compiling geological evidence for the Flood, as well as providing an easily understood interpretation of the dynamic processes that occurred before, during, and after the Flood, which radically altered the planet. The scriptures and your faith will come alive as you see the evidence for Noah's Flood throughout the Earth. So head over to creation.com forward slash store and get a copy of how Noah's Flood shaped our Earth in softcover, EPUB, or Kindle formats. I am Joseph Darnell, for everyone at Creation Ministries International. Thanks for listening.